So welcome to the Project Plenty podcast series where we ask the question, what will 2030 look like? I will ask that question across a range of topics important to Queensland and to our church. It's a series of conversations that will help us enter into a whole of church discernment and planning exercise that we hope might give shape to our life in the next decade. Over the course of this series, we'll invite our guests to reflect on this question, what 2030 looks like from their perspective and ask what role the Uniting Church could play as this future approaches. My name's Scott Guyatt, and I'm glad that you can join us. So joining me today, Sam Clintworth. Sam's part of the team at Uniting Care Queensland with some oversight over the South Coast region, but also some statewide services in Lifeline and a range of other things. And we'll kind of get into that a little bit. Um, Sam, welcome and thanks for sitting down for a chat today. My pleasure. Good to be here. It's really nice to, to sit with you. Could you give me a little bit of your background? So what, what's your professional background? What's your experience? We're going to explore some stuff around mental health in our mm-hmm. conversation today. So what's your kind of bona fides, I guess? Because we know that I don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> but maybe you do. Okay. I have been a psychologist for almost 30 years. 30 years, okay. And um, have worked in the not-for-profit sector for, yeah. for around 25 years yeah, and yeah. have also worked in some clinical um, psychiatric private uh, psychiatric okay. hospital environments, yeah. but most of my work has been in the community. And you've been with Uniting Care for a little while now, a few years? Yeah, I've been with, with Uniting Care for almost six years, okay. and I've had Lifeline as part of my portfolio in, in that entire over time. Over that period. That, you would have seen quite a bit of change, I imagine, over that uh, time, even just you know the last six or seven years with Uniting Care, there's been lots going on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been a very... Um, it's been a time of great change within mm. the community sector yeah. in general. Yeah. And also we've had our own organisational yeah, um, change and course. transformation as well. Yeah, yeah. So I read on the internet, which means it must be true, that <laughs> we are in the middle of a mental health crisis. This is the kind of phrase that gets around in the media and so on. Can you help me break that down a little bit? Um, firstly, I mean, maybe we should just put some definition around mental health. Mental sure. health. Uh, and then we could talk about whether we are in some kind of crisis or what, sure. what's actually going on. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So essentially we all have mental health in the same way that we all have physical have health. health. Yeah. It's part of our um, our well-being. And just yeah. like our physical health is impacted yeah. by social and environmental factors, it's impacted by how well we're taking care of ourselves, it's impacted by genetic predisposition and family history, yeah, yeah. and mental health is exactly the same. Yeah, so okay. our society, our environment affects us, how well we're sleeping, eating, taking yeah, care of yeah. ourselves, exercising affects our yeah. m- level of mental health or well-being. And of course our family history and our genetics also play yeah. a part as yeah. well. And I think pretty much any one of us any one of us mm. on any given day mm. is on the continuum between mental health and mental illness. Yeah, okay. um, and it just depends sense. on what your experience is yeah. at the time and what's going on in your life yeah, that yeah. determines where we sit on that continuum. And drawing that parallel then with physical health helps because we're also all on that continuum between healthy and unhealthy Absolutely. Uh, at any and, given time, aren't we? And even when we have a physical health condition, it waxes and wanes. Yeah. So you, know, you may have a listener who is experiencing asthma and they have asthma all of the time, mm. but sometimes their asthma yeah, yeah. is well-managed and under control and they're yeah. doing really well. Yeah. And other times they may be having an episode where they're experiencing the symptoms yeah. in an increased it's way. It's really difficult. Mental illness is exactly the yeah, same. Yeah. Is it the same in the sense that, you know, so I can get a cold or a flu and, and after a couple of weeks I kind of get over that and I'm perfectly healthy again? Or is it more along the lines of that... Um, uh, I'm not quite sure what the re- word is, but that that ongoing, say, a, a challenge like asthma is, you know, can I have a really short-lived mental health kind of um, challenge or difficulty, and then kind of resolve it, or is it something that I'll always sit with? 
I think that both it's of those both. scenarios are true. Yeah. So certainly the, the easiest example I can use of what may be described as a short-term mm. um, mental health challenge would be immediately following the loss of a loved one. So we yeah, initially okay. are experiencing yeah, yeah. immense grief and sadness. Yeah. For some people that resolves itself. Yeah. Um, for others, they may find themselves experiencing yeah, yeah. A, a period of prolonged depression that might yeah. last six months or 12 months yeah. and yeah. then they, that goes into remission and they yeah, may... Yeah potentially never yeah, struggle never with the depressed yeah. mood again. Yeah. But the particular environmental yeah. factors and social factors yeah, that gotcha. were occurring at the time Just meant that. that they, yeah. yeah. yeah, So the other part of that phrase then is that word crisis. Um, is this just a media kind of thing? Is it a trendy thing for us to talk about? Is there some reality to you know us as a society, as communities and neighbourhoods having more prevalent kind of recognition of mental health challenges or there's no scientific evidence to suggest okay. that we are in a mental health crisis okay. but yep. certainly there um there are different camps in relation to, yeah, to yeah. people's beliefs around this so certainly if we think about the fact that our mental health is affected by social and environmental yep. factors yep. whenever there are profound um challenges occurring in our environment yep. we're going to see increases in yes. certain types okay. of mental illnesses so yeah. again a historic example of that would be following um world war one and world war two sure. we certainly yeah, yeah, saw yeah, increased yeah. incidences of post-traumatic stress yeah, disorder we that had makes sense. Yeah, yeah um and so whilst the challenges for us today are quite different mm. if for example we see rises in drug and alcohol substance abuse program um, problems in certain communities then we're going to see a correlated effect on yeah, okay. um, increases in mental illness in that yes. area where we have high unemployment rates for example we're going to see yeah. increases in anxiety so yeah. financial hardship okay. is going yeah, to affect yeah, families gotcha. so um, whilst there are certainly some communities and and one that i'm very aware of at the moment is our farming community mm. so where we've had communities that have been impacted by situations like drought yeah. for in some of those communities a decade now they've had their entire community yeah. under distress yeah. for a long period of time so we see an increase in yeah. the mental illness yeah, yeah. for that particular community. yeah yeah um cause and effect there just came to mind as you as you're talking about that you know we talk about if there are increased incidences of, say, drug and alcohol use, then there might be a correlating increase in mm -hmm. mental health challenge. Is, could that be the other way around? Is it... Absolutely. Yeah, Most absolutely. things are all, I guess, always going to be interrelated yeah. to some degree. As with my psychologist hat on, we call yeah, okay. that dual diagnosis. Okay. So where we have two competing um, issues yeah. at the same time, yeah. and it's a little bit like a chicken and yeah, egg yeah. argument. In some of those circumstances, people may have a uh, preliminary mental illness that yeah. they're medicating with, alcohol and drugs yeah, okay. and then you have Which other then? circumstances where somebody may have been experimenting with drugs or substances and yep. then that has triggered yeah, a, yeah, a, yeah. a mental illness so it really could be kind of a both end Absolutely. kind of a situation yeah um in our kind of society in, in australian society i guess in general in queensland you know we're talking about in particular we seem to be more more able, more ready to talk about mental health now than perhaps we were 15 or 20 or 30 or 50 years ago. Is that is that true from your perspective? And, and if it is, what do you think's kind of driving that, that yeah, readiness, it, that willingness? From my perspective, it is absolutely true. And yeah. as a psychologist, I had a private practice in Queensland for over 20 years. And certainly what I noticed in that practice over those two decades is 
that the diversity of people that would walk through the door to um, seek help from a stranger to talk through their issues certainly changed significantly over that period of time. And I think culturally people became more comfortable with seeking professional assistance and then that has a flow-on effect for people talking just generally within their family and their community about what's going on for them. And we've also had some really strong um, work undertaken by Lifeline, by Beyond Blue, by the RUIK movement that normalises and encourages people to talk about what's going on for them. And I think that has had a profoundly positive Mm -hmm. effect. What hasn't occurred that we hoped would occur is a reduction in the suicide rate, yeah, but we have okay. seen that stabilise more than yeah. more than reduce. Yeah. But certainly what I notice as a professional in the sector is that the fact that people are talking more generally means that they get help earlier yeah, okay. and that the um, outcome for them is much, much better. Yeah, yeah. Is, there, is there a sense in which this willingness to talk and this willingness for this to be a topic that for us our society is okay perhaps just means that we are more aware of mental health as an issue and as a factor in our life than we might have been previously and so absolutely and that's one of the arguments for why it feels like a crisis that's exactly right so the fact that we it's it's more on our radar um particularly when you talk to older people they'll say oh this wasn't an issue when i was a child well we know that it scientifically we know that it was (laughs) um but probably it was one of those things that people soldiered on through absolutely and didn't um recognize it and then you had the you know the other end of the spectrum where people were institutionalized for mental health um, issues that today would be very easily treated in in much less intrusive circumstances. So things have certainly changed. But the fact that it is more part of our sort of our consciousness now does Mm. create a situation where it may seem like it's on the rise. Are there there cultural or gender or age kind of distinctives in that question? You know, like the stereotypical kind of Aussie bloke, strong, silent kind of, you know, it's a girly thing to go talk Mm. to. Like, is that... Is there still some truth in that or are we actually kind of... There there is still some truth in that and I think there's also, um, you know, cultural pockets within our communities that find Mm. talking more difficult. But again, there have been some fantastic organisations trying to break down those barriers and one um, recent example that I've been exposed to is Mates in Construction. I've not heard um, of that one. They're a fantastic charity that work with guys on job sites and their vision is to reduce suicide in the trades. And so they talk to, you know, young apprentices, you know, foremen, tradespeople of all um, walks of life about how they're going with their mental health and they provide a support service for people who are struggling. So I think starting conversations in new places is a really powerful way to influence change. Um, The farming community is another good example that I can use of um, where they're has culturally been a history of not talking. Yes. Um, we don't share our problems, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's some wanting to be discreet around financial yeah. circumstances, yeah. not wanting to share the burden with the rest of the community, particularly yeah. when an entire community is impacted, feeling as though I don't, um, I'm not doing it any tougher than anybody else, so yeah. why would I air my sort yeah. of issues? So I think there are still some um, areas of our community that find it enormously difficult yeah. to talk, but the more we're able to keep 
keep it on the public agenda, yeah. the better that's going to be for all communities. And I think you used the word normalised before and that seems to me like that's you know a pretty key part of it. But Absolutely. Yeah. Globally, they say one in four of us will suffer some yeah. significant mental health challenge throughout yeah. our life. Yeah. And in Australia, we have more than 3 million um, Aussies living with anxiety and depression. Yeah. So it's, it is very normal. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so the more we treat it as something that's yeah. normal, then the more likely yeah. we are to, to be able to ensure that people are getting the best treatment and solutions yeah. available to them. Do we have a sense or a consensus, I guess, within the field about what parts of our modern life are um, particularly feeding into kind of, say, for example, that anxiety or depression? You sure. know, are, there, are there aspects of our lifestyle that particularly feed that there are but there are also different things in different areas so as i mentioned where there are significant financial struggles that's certainly a trigger Um, high unemployment rates is a trigger for our young people um, bullying and existing within a new social construct that involves social media is a challenge Um, family law and family breakdown has a profoundly um, negative effect on on mental health and well-being um so the, the, the issues are different yeah. depending on yeah, age yeah. and stage of life. Yeah. I was recently talking with some teachers at, uh, at a school who talked about, you know, kind of trying to figure out the reality of, of six, seven, eight-year-olds coming to school, you know, like really rest, struggling with anxiety in particular, you know, and that to them seemed like a, you know, a real shift that, you know, children that young, um, you know, and they... they we kind of could have some guesses at cause and effect. Yeah, but, you know, I, yeah. that's one of the things that struck me yeah. um, early on in my career as well, and particularly when we start to notice the um, age within the suicide rates mm. de- decreasing. And I think there are a number of hypotheses that I've come up with over the years in relation to why that may be. But I think thinking about when my parents were children, they were very much raised in the seen and not heard yeah. um, okay. period of life. Yeah. So they yeah. often weren't exposed to what was going on in their broader family group or in their yeah, broader yeah. community. Yeah. Um, how we raise our children today is they're very much part of they everything are. we yeah. do. And yeah. so, and that's a profoundly positive thing, yes. but therefore they experience everything that yeah. the, their family is yeah. experiencing. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I was watching a program uh, recently where there was a, a, a school in a drought-stricken area in New South Wales and the school principal was interviewing some of the kids about their experience and there, this um, little boy who was in primary school mentioned that he was worried about the drought and that for a period of time he thought he, that they, they were going to lose his dad. Yeah. And his quote was, I thought we were going to lose oh, him I there think for I a saw while. That program. Yeah, and he was yeah. a, just a little boy yeah, yeah. and I thought... For, for a little boy to be yeah. carrying that around and worrying yeah. about how dad was going yeah. is really significant. So, yeah. I, you know, so I think our kids carry our stresses yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they carry the stresses of the community. Yeah. And they're also going to school with friends whose parents might be separating. Yeah. They might be going through separation themselves. There might be employment issues going on at home. Yeah. So I think um, our kids, you know, our kids have that same exposure yeah, and experience that, that we do as adults, but they have less resources often yes, to manage. To kind of deal with I know, you know, I've had one of my kids who, and my children are high school and primary school, and for them the the climate change, kind of that existential kind of question and potential threat around climate change is a very, very daily kind of present thing for them. And I've had one of them in the lounge room at, you know, 11 o'clock at night in tears, just unable to get to sleep, kind of, you know, grappling with what does this mean for me and... Um, that's probably an example. Um, Absolutely. That, and that I think our of... kids are, probably have um, 
have higher emotional yeah, <laughs> awareness yeah. and intelligence, but yeah. also are more educated yeah. around some of the social issues than, than even, you know, oh, we absolutely. were at school. <laughs> so you think about yeah. the, um, you know, looking at the issue around Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander yeah. peoples in our community, I, when I went to school in the 70s, I was taught settlement. You know, yeah, when my kids right. went to school, yeah. they were taught invasion. invasion. Yeah. And and they sit with the responsibility yeah. of the the wrongs of the past yeah, and yeah. and they're aware of racism and they're yeah. aware of the impacts on refugees and yes. asylum seekers in their school yeah. environment. They're aware of climate change. <clears throat> so, you know, I do think that, that mm. our... Um, Fortunately for us, our, yeah. our kids have a very strong social conscience, which we want to develop in them. Yeah, yeah. But it's also enormously important for us as parents and as a society to be aware, how do we balance that out? Because yeah. their well-being and their resilience is really critical and we yes. need to ensure that yeah. you know, they're going to tackle some big issues in, yeah. the, um, in the near future and we need to ensure yeah. that, that we're equipping them well in relation yeah, to balance. Yeah. So can, can, I, can we push that a little bit further then? And could I ask... You know what? What are what's the advice for, say, a parent like me, or you know, parents that are listening to this? To you know, what are are there some just practical things that we can be doing in our families with our kids that can help resource our kids? Um, I don't even know if that's a fair question, but yeah, sure. Um, I think having conversations is is the number, you know, the, mm, the most effective strategy yeah, okay. you could have. So. Yeah. You want to ensure that we're creating an environment at home that kids can talk about anything yeah. um, and that they can come and say, I'm worried about this one yeah, at school yeah. or I'm worried about yeah. that one. Um, that you can have, you know, I went through a period of time where I probably limited exposure to from of my kids to mm. the news. Mm. Um, my approach would be quite the opposite now, it would be yeah. to sit with them yeah. watching, yeah. Um, you know, watching, you know, what's going on in our world yeah, and having yeah, a productive yeah. conversation yeah. around and yeah. asking them what are they thinking and feeling and yeah. what do you need from me around yeah, that? Yeah. Um, yeah. And the other thing that, that we do a lot of work in, in Uniting Care is really equipping kids with the skills to, the, to engage with their peers yeah. around checking in on one another and resilience. Okay. So we, yeah. we yeah. use a program called Peer Skills and that's really about yeah. Yeah. ensuring that kids are equipped to have conversations with other kids yeah. about how they're going yeah. and what yeah. they need from one another to feel supported. It does strike me that those very same skills and conversations would be just as useful for us as adults as 100%. for our kids. <laughs> that kind of checking in with our peers, you know, how are you going with the news today? Like, you know, what, what, what can I do to help? Yeah. Um, you know, support you or whatever it might be. Yeah, and I think um, that's one of the things that is really important for us to be mindful of, particularly when we think about the busyness of the environments that we all exist in, that often yeah. there's not a lot of time for that yeah, conversation, yeah. but they are, yeah. I agree with you, they're really critical conversations. Yeah. And sometimes it's the 10 minutes in the staff room yeah. where you say, did you see that on the news last night? What do you think? Yeah, and, yeah. you know, uh, and as I said, yeah. you're seeing the, that school principal on the news the other night and coming in and saying, I think, you know, what can we do to support yeah, that yeah. school? You know, yeah, they're yeah. the conversations that yeah. not only help you to build your own resilience, but often trigger some resourcefulness in yeah. relation to how can we work together to actually affect yeah. a different outcome. Yeah. So, uh, we've been talking lots there about um, strategies and resources and things that are, you know, operate on a, at a personal level, you know, me and my family or me and mm -hmm. my friends. Or can we, you know, step back a little bit and, and think about our society, our whole community in Queensland and, you know, are there some strategies that we already are kind of working on or things that we could be thinking about, you know, that, that might help us tackle these kind of questions at that broader level? Um, I think to bringing community together 
jumps out at me as, as, yeah, as okay. the, the strongest sort of activity we can yeah. undertake. One of the things that we've identified in Lifeline that is having an effect on our call answer rate on the number of help seekers that are phoning um, our suicide prevention line is loneliness. Yeah. It's, it's one of the, you know, if we think about, um, we often get the question about is there a mental health crisis? And there's another question for me that is, is yeah. there a loneliness Is there an epidemic crisis? of loneliness? Yeah, yeah. Um, so in the most, perhaps the most connected time in our society ever. Absolutely. Technologically at yeah. least, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think it's really important that we start to be mindful about how do we, um, how do we build our sense of community? And I think yeah. the church plays a really significant role yeah. in that. How do we encourage people to connect because yeah. the people that are most lonely are the people that are going to be least likely yeah. to to yeah. reach out yeah. um and so fostering those conversations in our work environments in our home environments but also more broadly in our community yeah. and creating opportunities to bring people together and that's mm. one of the strategies that we've found effective in drought impacted communities okay. is creating sausage sizzles you know yeah, yeah. low-key opportunities yep. that essentially yep. are an excuse yep. to bring people together in the one yeah. place to create an environment that people then may be able to exchange ideas yep. have a conversation get support from one another yeah. and i think again that given our busyness our you know yeah. we live a very sort of purposeful life yeah. we're getting from we're a to b we're doing yeah. these three things yeah. to create that downtime where you are just sitting and being with others yeah. um is it really important? Maybe that phrase downtime is an interesting one to tap into as well. We, we, it feels like we're always up, we're always on, we're always, you know, and, I, and so I, you know, like the curiosity within me wonders what that does to our, you know, just our, our brains and our, our kind of mental state, you know, of not having just quiet time, being yeah, bored, absolutely. being so still that we get bored. or Absolutely. Bored. Yeah. I remember growing up as a kid, that was probably my catchphrase, my number one phrase, <laughs> I'm bored. <laughs> um, and I grew up on a property, you know, pro, you know, yeah. when colour TV had just come in type of thing. So um, you don't hear that very often no. nowadays, that we actually don't have time to be bored, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is a sad state yeah. of affairs. It kind of but is. There's a lot of science that actually supports what you're suggesting, mm. that the fact that not only are we on all the time, but we're also being stimulated yes. by different light yeah, frequencies yeah, yeah. Yeah. through email, yeah. you know, social media. Um, yeah, data. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it is absolutely critical that we create yeah. that downtime, that we have yeah. time where we're not being stimulated. Yeah. And particularly when we're thinking about ourselves and our children in relation to being able to get the best quality sleep they can, mm. sleep is again one of the number one um, influences of okay. our mental well-being. So ensuring that we have some downtime yeah, leading yeah. in, you know, leading up to the time where we're wanting to get into a sleep routine in the evening, yeah, is really, really positive in creating a, a, okay. a better sleep. I mean, I was pattern. taking that as encouragement to have an afternoon nap, but I hear you. I'll you know I'll try. And, uh, <laughs> you can have an afternoon nap too, but I'm more but, suggesting oh, yeah, that you yeah. stay off yeah, your device yeah, yeah. in the evenings. No, I do find myself most nights talking to my kids about you know half an hour an hour before they go to bed. You got to get off. You got to switch off. Yeah, you need to just just chill out, read a book. Yeah, there's been a lot of research into the the stimulation of blue light, and yeah. particularly in the evening or when you're trying yeah, to foster yeah. a sleep environment. Yeah, yeah. Um, can we? talk a little bit about trajectory and you know where we might find ourselves in five or ten years with respect to i guess this issue in general mental health but also you know how as a society we're tackling this or how as the church we might be participating in our communities you know where 
where are we heading? It sounds like we're on this trajectory where we're more normalizing, we're more coming mm-hmm. to grips with mental health as an everyday mm-hmm. kind of just a regular health kind of thing. Can you imagine you see that's kind of continuing? Um, I think there are certain areas within the whole sort of mental health and mental illness um, continuum that are on the increase. So we're okay. certainly seeing some increases in anxiety, yep. prevalence, a yep. substance abuse, yeah. a major depression. The fastest growing mental health issue at the moment is actually dementia. Okay. So we have a number of areas that we know um, we yeah. are seeing an increased prevalence of. And yep. as we mentioned, some of that can be yeah. recognition and destigmatization, and some yep. of it can yep. be environmental factors that are just yeah. sending an can, increase. Can I jump in there? Can we just talk about about dementia for a second so we would we would consider dementia as a part of the kind of mental health mental continuum. illness continuum mm-hmm. so a couple of weeks ago i met uh and on this podcast talked with jeff batkin of wesley mission queensland mm-hmm. and we were talking about the extraordinary um growth in numbers of our kind of aged cohort and our you mm-hmm. know uh, and over the next 20 years uh, almost quadrupling of the number of australians living beyond 85 years mm-hmm. of age and um and with that comes an extraordinary challenge in this area of dementia and um, decline and you know, memory and related kinds of things. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think when, we've, when we started to become aware of the impact, the social and health impacts of our ageing community, yeah. the most obvious impacts were around physical health and, yes. and the physical demands on the um, health sector mm. and, and mm. physical health system. Mm. But, of course, there's a, a you know corresponding yeah. impact around um, mental health, and particularly if we're living longer than, yeah. you know, um, dementia and yes. Alzheimer's and yeah, other, yeah, other yeah. various yeah. associated illnesses, we're going to see an increased prevalence yeah, yeah. of. That, that stands as quite a, uh, quite a stark... Uh, it, it sits in my mind from the conversation with Jeff as quite a stark challenge to mm. us as and The other important... Thing for us to consider in that community is also loneliness. Yeah. So people who are losing partners or who are yeah. becoming socially isolated once you're not able to drive, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, you can live a long time beyond driving yes. yeah. age and yeah. become increasingly more isolated. Uh, we are, are also seeing trends away from residential care. So people choosing to stay at home a yeah. lot longer, which yeah. again means that they're isolated and yeah. alone often for that period yes. of time. And also as we're seeing, you know, families... Um, can often be described as global families now. You speak to people my age and they've got one child living in yeah. London, one child living in the States, yeah. you know. All over um, the shop. So you yeah. may have older persons living in Australia who don't have any local yeah. or national yep. connections. And yep. so I think that that's certainly, again, something that yeah. we need to be mindful of. Um, yeah. A connected community, a resilient community is going to be the best antidote yeah. to, um, you know, to people having mental health. Yeah. challenges and struggles so the more yeah. connected we can assist people to be the better yeah. off we're all going to be the better be. off we can all be um let's talk about the uniting church for a moment we we as a church are present in almost every community in queensland you know whether through a, a local congregation or a, you know an agency a service through something like uniting care or lifeline or um you know kind of our outback um uh, services mm-hmm. and so on what what opportunity what opportunities can you kind of spot for us as a church to be, you know, thinking more, acting more, supporting our communities more in this area in the years to come? I think as a challenge, I would say that 
there's a privilege that goes along with that footprint and a responsibility that that says, um, if not us, then who? That if we have this gift of being present in so many communities, then are we really taking, picking up the responsibility associated with that and reaching outside of um, our our own sort of um, inner circle? And I think that that is something that's really critical. And as I said, the, the more people struggle with their mental health, the more isolated they become and the more difficult it is to reach out. So So it becomes a self-reinforcing kind of a a story or something. Absolutely. And so one of the things I noticed um, recently in the Townsville floods, we did a lot of door knocking. Mm. Our um, psychological first aid and community recovery approach was to um, some people just couldn't get out of their homes, couldn't leave their homes either for for, um, physical or other reasons. And... It was sad to note that for some of those people, they hadn't had someone come to their door for quite a long time. And I think there is a responsibility if we're um, operating within communities that we operate as an active arm rather than waiting for people to reach out to us. I think that that's that's a Maybe that's part of being a good neighbour too, isn't it? Absolutely. To be looking for the welfare of the other. Uh, Absolutely. The one next door. Yeah. yeah, and you know there are some great stories as well that in I, in my role I get the opportunity to travel throughout Queensland um, for Lifeline and Uniting Care, and there are some thriving communities mm. that take their responsibilities as neighbours yeah. very very seriously, and um, you know that that is is a fantastic yeah. thing to see. But as many of those communities, you you that. Are running well you also find communities that are quite disconnected and are really struggling is there a story or two that comes to mind of somewhere that you know one of those great encouraging stories that we've seen some really interesting things we see some fantastic things in the refugee and asylum seeking area where and you know there was recently quite the community um outpouring of love and support for the family in Biloela you know so you see those types of activities but on a smaller scale often seeing um asylum-seeking and refugee families embraced by the local school community, the local church, by neighbours looking out for them, helping their kids to um, connect, have play dates, and just basically wrapping the community around. Kind of just being human. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, in, in those circumstances you see people who perhaps have been struggling or were at risk mm. of anxiety, you know, depression, really yeah. growing out of that and yeah. thriving. Yeah. Um, and I think you know, they're, they're the good news stories. That's and they reiterate for me every time just the importance of community. Yeah. What gives you hope, Sam? We might wrap, kind of wrap things up, surely, but uh, what, what gives you hope in this, in this kind of conversation in this sector? Young people give me hope. Yep. Um, the compassion. It's not a long list of people who say that, isn't there? Kind of, we all pile onto young people. Yeah, oh, no, millennials. I, I walk away from conversations with young people feeling uplifted. There's, there's social awareness yeah. and emotional intelligence and compassion for people less fortunate. and But not just that. It's feeling something deeply enough that doing nothing is not an option. Yeah. And that's the difference I see in young people and older yeah. older people. I think yeah. that there's they don't have that same resignation that yeah. says, oh, well, yeah, that's yeah. a tr- tricky issue and yeah. that's the way it always is. Kids don't settle for that. Yeah. They want to know what are we going to yeah. do about that, how are we going to make yeah. it different? Yeah. And that drives hope yeah. for me because they will push us yeah. <laughs> until, no, we, I, <laughs> until we start to um, affect change. Yeah. I'm replaying conversations in my mind of, you know, where I've been in the car with my kids and some of their mates taking them somewhere and, 
extraordinary young people you know extraordinary young 16 year olds that just they do give you hope yeah 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 Sam, maybe it's time for us to kind of leave it there. We've we've run out of time, but thank you so much for the My chat. My pleasure. Um, I'm I'm left actually really encouraged and you know really thinking deeply around what it means for me to be a neighbour, um, for what it means uh, for me to. Um, make sure that you know my neighbours are not kind of isolated and you know uh, there are ways in which we just gather and we continue to kind of wonder out loud together how we're traveling and what can I do for you and what can you do for me Um, and that maybe this word crisis is a little bit overused Um, is that is that fair absolutely and I think you've nailed it it's human skills we need it's not not technical skills I think people avoid conversations because they think there's a technical skill set they need in order to support someone who's struggling it's just it's compassion and empathy and very human skills that is just about you don't have to be the expert it's useful to know how we can connect people to services if to know what's in your area but it really is just about checking in and being um, confident enough to have the conversation beautiful so be a good neighbor check in have a sausage sizzle yeah and get to bed early that's kind of the takeaway (laughs) that sounds awesome beautiful thanks thanks scott